Happy Tuesday, listeners. Of course, this being a podcast, it might not be Tuesday when you're t- chiming in. This is episode 111 of the Brother Trucker Book Club podcast. I am your host, Graham Bradley. I've burned through about six books since the last episode, but I'm only going to give you three today because uh, I, I think these are the most shareable of the three. Two nonfiction and a really good novel. And uh, let's jump right in. Ready and... You may not believe this, but I am on my fourth freaking attempt to get my legs under me when recording for the podcast this morning. Um, I know I said two non-fictions and a fiction. We're going to scrap one of these non-fictions entirely because uh, it's about a subject that infuriates me. The book itself was great, but hellfire and damnation. Uh, the other nonfiction was really, really good, and it was a rare book where uh, it landed right in the middle of the Venn diagram between Brother Trucker and Dr. Farmer, my older brother, the uh, the PhD with 47 acres in Ohio. The Dinosaur Artist by Paige Williams covers a very interesting legal case, an historical case, here in the United States. Uh, there are a couple of players involved. There's a woman named Bolor in Mongolia, and a guy named Eric from Florida, who, uh, Eric was a, a you know, born and raised, not raised as a fossil hunter, but he was a swimmer, and then later he started digging up fossils in Florida. He was he was swimming out in the Everglades or something, and he found the skeleton of a pygmy camel, and he's like, okay, first of all, camel in America, what? Second, why is it th- that small? That got him interested in paleontology and hunting fossils, and, and uh, he started doing more of these dives in the Everglades and finding more and more cool stuff. And then eventually uh, he met a woman and he got married, and they started doing bigger and bigger fossils. And one thing led to another, and he started making contacts overseas and started selling dinosaur fossils. Uh, the book goes into how that's technically illegal especially depending on where it's from um and mongolia and argentina are two hotbeds for what they call you know hot fossils illegal fossils but uh enforcement was somewhat non-existent on the this legal issue and so people just did it in the open i mean he was selling fossils on ebay there's a trade show in tucson every year just uh historically fascinating book well then it also goes into the history of Mongolia, how, you know, in the last century, Mongolia has been owned by China, owned by Russia, then declared independence, and they've had a fledgling democracy the, with, a, uh, at various times, a failed state. But this woman, Bolor, there uh, was very, very interested in the, in the natural sciences, especially because in the Gobi Desert, uh, there are tons and tons and tons of dinosaur fossils. Uh, think of it like the badlands of North America or the the Great Basin of the West. Uh, if you read Dragon Teeth, that book by Michael Crichton that I told you about, um, you got a small taste of just how easy it was for these 1800s paleontological expeditions to come out West and just find skeletons sticking up out of the ground. Uh, just amazing. Well, you know, these parts of the Gobi Desert are topographically similar to that. Uh, the difference is that it's not in an established first world country and people could just, you know, come in and do whatever. And Bolor had a real issue with foreigners, you know, harvesting her nation's natural history and then taking it somewhere else. A lot of it ended up in private collections. Um, 
coming back to the American side of things, there was even a part of the story where Eric and his wife found a T-Rex skull, restored it and mounted it and sent it to an auction house to be bid on. And the, the final two bidders were Leonardo DiCaprio and Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage. Ha ha. This is the rock. Um, yeah, apparently they're, they're both avid fossil collectors, just crazy and cool and, and all that. Well, uh, there's a lot of cautionary tale in this story as well, because as Eric and his wife Amanda got their business underway, uh, things were really feast or famine, peaks and valleys for them. They were flipping houses and flipping dinosaur skeletons, blah, blah, blah. They ended up carrying a lot of debt right into the year 2008, which was not a time that you wanted to be owing $11,000 a month on mortgages and credit cards and, and stuff like that. So Eric decided that he needed one big final sell to sale, excuse me, to clear up his bills. And uh, he ended up selling or, you know, completely preparing and restoring, I guess, this uh, Tyrannosaurus skeleton. But the tricky thing was it wasn't exactly a Tyrannosaurus. It was the Mongolian, Mongolian counterpart to it. It was from the same, you know, the Tyrannosauridae order or family, but it was it was a Mongolian specific dinosaur. Now, with a lot of these skeletons, I didn't know this but they're kind of pieced together from other dinosaurs. It might be like, you know, you go to a museum and you see a skeleton. It's like, that might actually only be like 60, 65% Tyrannosaurus. They might've, you know, fixed it up with, with parts from another Tyrannosaurus or something similar to fill in a gap. The book goes into the process of that, how it works, really, really fascinating stuff. Um, but anyway, right when he needed this thing most to bail him out financially, um, an omnibus pill was passed in the Senate in 2009, right after Obama became president, and it finally uh, tightened up some loopholes on the collection and sell, sale of fossils, and uh, he ended up getting dragged into court over it. And what happened as a result of it was was pretty tragic, um, not in like a suicide sense or anything, but you know there was definitely a concern that he uh, he might be. Um, headed that way he, he ultimately didn't but dadgum it was it was tragic on on the one sense but i i think it ended well i don't want to give it away i, I think that it's worth it for you to to read for the uh, the natural history side for the legal side for the drama side i will say this when i'm reading a non-fiction i am looking for objectivity um, obviously if you're delving into a subject and and you're very passionate about it that passion is going to come through but Paige Williams, the author of this book, wasn't writing about a subject necessarily that she was passionate about. She was telling the story of um, clashing passions from other people. You know, Bolor was very, very dedicated to the natural history of her own country. Some people thought she was a, a nationalist. She just she wanted to be, you know, Mongolian proud and have other people be proud of their nation as well, have her nation stand on its own two feet. She saw natural history as a way to make that happen. You know, Eric was, was kind of the same way. He wasn't, you know, putting fossils together for America or whatever. He just loved natural history and he was doing what a whole bunch of other people were doing and had been doing for a long time. He just was the one that they decided to make an example out of it. And uh, it's kind of a bummer that way. You know, Bolor saw Eric as a villain. She ended up writing a children's book about this, you know, Mongolian T-Rex skeleton that got brought back and the American that stole it was in jail. Hoorah. It was like, dang gum. Um but like I said, Williams herself was pretty objective about it. She was just telling the stories of all the people 
involved in it. So highly recommend it. Check it out. Uh, content warning. There were there was like you know one quote near the end of the book where there were a couple of f bombs from somebody. Other than that, you know, it's not like she was constantly quoting people that were cussing throughout the story. But check out the Dinosaur Artist by by Paige Williams. It was one of the really more intriguing uh, nonfictions that I've read, especially with paleontology as a as a background for the narrative. The other one, the the fiction, was one I listened to last week on a long, beautiful drive from Salt Lake to Pocatello and back. Very, very green right now this time of year. This is called The Brand of the Warlock by Rob Cruzy, uh, the first in a series called The Counterfeit Sorcerer. This is a fantasy series, and uh, I really, really like Rob Cruzy's writing. Um, this is the third series of his that I've jumped into. The first one is that... Uh, Dream of the Iron Dragon, or just you know, the series is called The Iron Dragon. Third book in that series is out today, by the way. Uh, it's called the The Voyage of the Iron Dragon. There's like there's there's Dream and Voyage, and there's one other one I can't remember. But Iron Dragon by Rob Cruzy is that one. So go check that one out. But uh, in the Counterfeit Sorcerer, it's a fantasy about uh, a character named Conrad who, uh, yeah, he he grew up poor. He loved the rich girl next door. You know, out, they were they were. They were not ranchers, they were shepherds. And uh, he decided to you know, go enlist in the army to you know, get enough money and glory and clout and stuff to come back and, and uh, marry the, the girl. Um, bad things happened while he was out. When he comes back, more bad things happen. I'm being intentionally vague here because I do remember the details of the story. I just read this a week ago. Um, the thing that... that I wouldn't say that it surprised me, but really drew me into the story was the the slow discovery of this. I've talked about epic fantasies before, where the authors just kind of like go off on tangents about every little facet of the character's life and tell stories from their childhood and whatnot, just because they, they like to write really thoroughly, but they don't know how to pace themselves or how to edit themselves, how to abbreviate themselves. Rob Cruzy does that really, really well, uh, where you you get that that sense of backstory for Conrad, but it doesn't drag on and on and on and on and on. This book, like the audio altogether, was about seven hours. Really good stuff. Um, basically, when Conrad comes back to get his girl, he finds her being attacked by an evil warlock, and Conrad goes to fight the warlock off, and the warlock ends up putting the brand of the warlock, the eponymous thing, on Conrad and Conrad gets effectively blamed for being a warlock he has to go to prison a little bit of you know kind of Monte Cristo thing going on and he has to find a way to get out and find his girl and find the warlock that did this to him and we are going on a revenge bender revenge I love it so I'm really looking forward to the next books in this series uh, I think he said that they're going to be five in all um Good fantasy, moves fast, good action, good characters. Uh, I, I love it. And as a bonus content warning, there is none. Um, you know, there's some combat violence in it and stuff, but, you know, no, like, sex or anything like that, no language. Uh, so, recommend it all across the board. Check out Brand of the Warlock by Rob Cruzy. And, uh, and yeah, that'll do it for today. I don't, I don't think I'm going to do a full episode on everything that I've read in the last ten days. Um... I've actually got to button up the truck and get rumbling because it is almost 5 a.m. And, uh, yeah, the, the paycheck gods wait for no man. So you guys know the drill. Drive safe, and I will see you out there.